For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Welcome to Freedom Through Faith. Prepare to be blessed as pastor and teacher Robert Thibodeau leads us into the anointed study of the Word of God, teaching and empowering you how to impact your world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, teaching you how to receive the blessings and provisions of God and how to walk through this life with Freedom Through Faith. And now, here's Pastor Robert Thibodeau. We now rejoin today's message already in progress. In verses 5 to 11, Habakkuk gets probably the most unusual answer to prayer that anybody ever got. Amen. If you think God's inactivity was perplexing, just notice his activity. Habakkuk was perplexed in verses 2 to 4, but it must have been nothing compared to what's going on in his head after he hears God's answer. Glory to God. Verse 5, God says, Behold, among the nations in regard. God doesn't say, I'm going to use your prayer and everything's going to be sunshine and roses. No, he says, And wonder marvelously, for I will work a work in your days. First of all, I'm going to work a work which you will not believe even though it's told to you. And here's the answer to Habakkuk's prayer. Verse 6. For lo, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and nasty and hasty nation, which will march through the breadth of the land to possess the dwelling places that are not there. They are terrible They are dreadful. Their judgment, their dignity shall proceed from themselves. Then he describes their horses and the swiftness which they're going to conquer. Their horsemen are going to cover the land. They're going to come swiftly like an eagle. In verse 9, they're coming to do violence. They've set their faces forward. That means they're not going to be distracted. They've got a goal and an objective in mind, and they're going to go at it and not stop till they get there. It says they shall gather the captives as the sand. They're going to pick up the whole nation of Israel. They'll scoff and laugh at the kings and princes. They'll deride every stronghold. They're going to heap dust and take it. And then in verse 11, they're going to glory and think they did it because of the power of their own God. Listen to this. Basically, God answered Habakkuk's prayer by saying, you think it's bad now? You ain't seen nothing yet. That is an unusual answer. 
Habakkuk's been crying out, God, deliver us, deliver us, deliver us, deliver us. And God says, not only will I not deliver you, it's going to get far, far worse than it is right now. In this scripture, we can see that God intends to raise up an utterly pagan, godless people to come in and destroy the nation. We could be looking at the same thing in America right now. He's doing the same thing in America right now. And by the time we finish this series in a few weeks, you will be able to see it as well. I've been studying this, and God has shown me something. And I get hate mail all the time about, you know, how I'm so, what's the word? Anti-American. How I'm so critical of the administration. How I am so, I can't think of anything better than anti-American. And that is so far from the truth. Unpatriotic. That's another one. Folks, I'm as patriotic as you can get. I believe 100% in the American dream. I believe 100% that America has been blessed by God in our foundation. That God has been guiding our nation. Up until about the late 1950s to early 1960s, when we as a nation made the decision to reject God and embrace humanism. And that began the downfall where we have arrived at the bottom of the barrel today. We're not under the barrel, we're at the bottom. Under the barrel comes next. But I'm getting ahead of myself. God has shown me some things that actually connects America to Israel. Things that no other nation can say. They can't claim it because it's not true. But when we look at what connects America to the nation of Israel, you're going to see these close ties that the Obama administration has been trying to sever and cut. We have forsaken God just like Israel forsook God in the days of Habakkuk. You'll be able to see all of this by the time we finish with this study. But for right now, just trust me, okay? Just trust me that I will get there. I'll walk you through this step by step on what the future holds for America and how the Christians can prepare for it. We won't be able to stop it. But we can prepare ourselves and we can prepare our families to escape it. Amen. And we need to take as many people with us in the rapture as possible. We, Our job is to teach others that judgment is coming to America and how to prepare to escape it. Now, like I said, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's go back to the book of, of Habakkuk. What I just talked about, what is happening in America is also the problem in Habakkuk's day. Number one, why does it appear God is inactive? Why doesn't God respond to the cries of his people? Secondly, when he does, why does he answer that way? 
And through these 11 verses, we learn three great truths about the way God does act. God's ways, first of all, are mysterious. Secondly, they are really misunderstood. And thirdly, they are moral in everything he does. God's ways are mysterious, misunderstood, but yet moral. Amen. So that's the basic outline we're going to go through the rest of today. First of all, let's notice how God's ways are mysterious. Now, I've hinted at this already. First of all, notice that he is mysterious in action. It's strange how that God is silent during very serious circumstances. And we can stand there and we say, well... Why Why did God let Israel get this far gone? Why didn't God smash those idols right away when they were put up? Why did he allow false prophets to rise up and lead the nation astray? Why didn't he just strike them dead on the spot? Why did God allow Israel to deteriorate to that point? Why didn't God maintain the purity of Israel? And we can also ask ourselves... The same questions in reference to the church today. Why has God let liberalism come into the church? Why has he allowed it? Why doesn't he strike those false teachers? Why doesn't he strike them dead on the spot when they utter their blasphemy and their denial of the faith? Why does God allow so many wrong things to be done? Why, in the context of the church, does God allow people under the name of Jesus Christ to commit the atrocities that have been committed? So many churches in our world that name the name of Jesus Christ and under the name of Jesus Christ are doing absolutely unbelievable things. Why does God allow that? If God is really God, why doesn't he keep a pure church. Why does he let this happen? Not only that, why hasn't God answered yes to all of my prayers? I pray in faith. How long have we been praying for revival to come to America? Answer that question. How long have we been praying for revival to come to the whole world? Why doesn't God answer yes? Why is there no revival? We pray for decades, and it seems like God doesn't hear. Why? Why doesn't God bring America to its knees? Why doesn't God take these people who've turned against him and turn them toward him? And you've probably asked in your own heart, on an individual basis, why does God allow so-and-so to get sick? Why doesn't God heal them? Or you've asked, why doesn't God save that person that I've prayed for month after month after month after month? Why? Why is God silent in the midst of all the atrocities committed under his name in his church? Why did he allow it in Israel? Why does he allow the world to go on like it's going on right now? If he's really God, why doesn't he fix it? Why does God allow corrupt politicians to be the leaders of this nation? Why doesn't God just strike them all dead right now as they lead the, before they can lead this nation astray? Why doesn't he raise up a righteous president to lead us? One who fears God first and foremost and worries about politics second. Why? Why doesn't God do that? 
You see, God's ways are mysterious, aren't they? His inaction is mysterious. Amen. And secondly, his unexpected providences are mysterious as well. And the second thing we discover from Habakkuk is that God sometimes gives very unexpected answers to our prayers. And this really shook Habakkuk. It shook him up. For a long time, God never seemed to answer him. Then, all of a sudden, God answered. In Habakkuk's mind, God was answering all along. But he was not answering the way Habakkuk wanted him to do it. And finally, God answered. And his answer was even more mysterious than before he answered. Because you see, Habakkuk thought he knew what Israel needed. He thought in his mind, well, here's what Israel needs, God, just in case you don't know. God, number one, God, just do it this way, and it'll be okay. They need revival, God. And secondly, after that, you, after you kind of put them in their place a little bit, and revival begins, then turn them around and turn them back towards you, God. That's what they need. They just need a little whipping, and then they'll get smashed down and punished a little bit, and then they need a great revival in the land, God, and they'll turn back to you, and after that, everything will be all right. But you see, God had other plans for Israel. John Newton said he felt he wanted something better in his spiritual life. So at one time, he cried out to God for a deeper knowledge of God. He cried out for a deeper understanding of his own spiritual light, and he besought God that he might have a new dimension in his Christian experience. I know some people have prayed like that. I've done it. You probably have, too. You know what happened to him? He expected some wonderful vision of God or some dramatic blessing from heaven. Do you know what he got instead? Instead, he had an experience in which for months, God seemed to be a million miles away. God seemed to abandon John Newton to Satan himself. He was tempted and tried beyond his comprehension. The exact opposite of what he was asking for. But you see, God had allowed Newton to go into the depths of suffering in order to teach him how to depend entirely on him. Only then, when Newton had learned his lesson, did God bring him out and bless him. Amen? And there's a Bible principle there, that suffering always precedes glory. Do you know that? Suffering always precedes glory. And I suppose the best illustration of that is football practice. Some of the guys know about that. Amen. As I look back on that, you know, you live for the glory on Friday night in high school or Saturday in college. Oh, the suffering through the week. Sometimes two-day practices in the heat and the humidity and over and over and over again, the same drills. But there's some basic principles in life where suffering also precedes glory. No man ever attained anything in life 
but what he suffered through some sacrificial hours to take himself to that glory. Even, you know, politicians today, I have friends that have achieved political office in the state level, and they spend days knocking doors, meeting people. They put in hours and hours and hours every day shaking hands, asking questions, see what's on the minds of the people. They are agonizing through this. They don't want to do it that way. They would much sooner just put their name on the ballot and then kick back in their house and on election night win. But they know that they have to do these things if they can adequately convince people they can represent their interests. They have to do these things so that they can adequately represent these people's interests because they know because they talk to these people. Amen. So their basic principles in life were suffering precedes glory. No man ever yet attained anything in life but that he first suffered through some sacrificial hours in order to put himself in position to receive that glory. No man ever became effective, no man ever became astute in any dimension of education until he sacrificed hours and hours and hours of careful study. No man ever became a well-trained athlete who performs well at the big moment Unless he disciplined and sacrificed through the hours and hours and hours that nobody ever saw. How many of you ever asked God to make you suffer? How many of you ever gotten down on your knees and said, God, make me suffer? Or literally, smash me down, God, just crush me so I can know you better. Have you ever prayed that? I never. I don't want to. Because I believe that type of prayer, God would answer very quickly if you prayed that way. Amen. But what do we pray? Lord, protect me. Lord, keep me safe as I go over here. Lord, bless our family. Lord, watch over us. Lord, take care of us. Lord, do this or do that. You know, keep the little wall of protection around us. Lord, don't ever let anything happen to us. Is that the way we pray? Is that the way you pray? I think it is, isn't it? Now, does it make sense to you why some things are happening? You see, there's a basic biblical principle that says what precedes glory? Suffering. That's a spiritual principle. Suffering always precedes glory. But we don't pray for that, do we? All we want is the glory. You want to know something? Someday Israel is going to be glorified. Did you know that? It's in the Bible. Someday they are going to reign with Christ, who is their Messiah, aren't they? For a thousand years. They're going to have the glory, but first they're suffering. Someday the church is going to be glorified, isn't it? In that day, we will meet Jesus Christ in our glorified bodies, but not before we go through some suffering while in this world. We all like to write our own prescription to our own answers to our own prayers, don't we? We pray in the back of our minds and say, God, uh, just in case you're stuck for a plan... 
here's an idea. But we forget the fact that God sometimes makes things an awful lot worse before they get any better. You don't hear that preached much in a lot of churches today, do you? How many faith churches would empty out if the preacher got up there and said, God will answer your prayers, every single one of them, right after he crushes you to the point where you feel all is lost? I don't think that would sell very many CDs or increase their offerings and collections, would it? Just remember that God may do the exact opposite of what you're expecting or what you need. But don't forget, it might look like the backside of a Persian rug to you, but on the other side, the side that God sees, it's a beautiful, glorious tapestry. What we're seeing today as we look at things is the backside. What we're seeing today in the world is the suffering that the world is going through in order to get ready for the glory that's about to emerge. Glory to God. Shout amen, somebody. You know that someday this world is going to perish. It's going to be in the hands of Jesus Christ and the lion's going to lie down with the lamb. The little child's going to play in a snake pit and never be bitten. And do you know that the nations are going to go in and out and see Jesus Christ reigning on the throne of David and Israel is going to be glorified and the church is going to be glorified and Christ is going to be glorified. But not before suffering comes. God is beating this world down in our eyes right now. Judgment is beginning right now. We see it happening right now. And it will last up until the time that Christ comes in final judgment. Until the day this world is going to be under the judgment of God. In order to get it ready for the glory. Amen. Glory. Hallelujah. Why should I deserve anything that Jesus never had? It was needful for him to suffer before he could be glorified. What makes you think you're so special you don't have to do the same thing? Things are going to get worse and worse. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, well, verse 13 or so, Paul says to Timothy, Evil men shall wax, what? Worse and worse in the last days. And we start reading prophetic scriptures. And we're going to get into a series on prophetic themes for today, either during this series or it'll be the one following the study of Habakkuk and revival in America. But uh, we'll follow the Lord's leading on that. But the end times are about to emerge. There's going to be wars and rumors of wars. We read about that in the end time. There's going to be lawlessness. In Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul says that the spirit of lawlessness is going to run wild in the end times. Amen? We read that in the end times there's going to arise false religions called by Paul in his letter to Timothy, doctrines of evil. Doctrines of devils, I'm sorry. We read that in the last days there's going to be apostates who go around denying the Lord that bought them in 2 Peter 2. We read that things are going to get worse and worse and worse, not better. And I'm telling you right now, if you're spending your time praying for peace, 
Forget it. Pray for peace in the hearts of men, not peace in the world. There will never be peace in this world until Jesus returns. And if you're praying to the end of all wars, forget it. There's not going to be an end to war until Jesus comes. Things are going to get worse and worse and worse before they get any better. The lines are being drawn right now for the battle of Armageddon. Russia's ready, the king of the north. Egypt and the Arab states are ready, the king of the south. From the east, the great red Chinese guard, now numbering 200 million, exactly as prophesied in the book of Revelation. They're ready. The Russians started a seven-year project to dam up the Euphrates. The Bible says the Euphrates will be dried up while the kings of the east march across it. This world is getting ready and there is not going to be any peace. It's only going to get worse and worse before it gets any better. And so sometimes we think we know how God should work this, how he should answer our prayers. He's not doing it the way we think he should. And in verse 6, he told Habakkuk, I'm raising up the Chaldeans to judge Israel. So God's ways are mysterious. His unexpected providences are mysterious. Certainly his instruments are mysterious. And when he talks about the Chaldeans, that must have really been a problem for Habakkuk because the Chaldeans were one of the most despised peoples in his day. They were absolutely pagan, totally godless. I believe God is telling us today he is raising up the Muslims as his instrument to bring judgment on America today. That does not mean the God of the Muslims is our God. He's not. It means that God is not going to stop the Muslims who are led by the spirit of Satan. He's allowing them to gain these advances because they are operating on his agenda to bring judgment to America and to the world. To show up and show off, if you would, when he has Jesus make his grand entrance, putting them all down with the sword of his mouth. Amen. So if God wants to use the Chaldeans, he can do it. He can do it. I mean, God has used all sorts of strange instruments to bring his purpose to to pass. We talked about earlier, he used an ass in Numbers 22. He used a coin and a fish's mouth and perhaps other occasions that we don't have time to go into. Amen? Because we're starting to run out of time. One prime example of that, though, I find in Isaiah 44. Isaiah 44. If you have your Bible, you can look at that. Isaiah 44. Here you have the incident of Israel, the prophecy regarding Israel being released from Babylonian captivity. In Isaiah 44, about verse 28, there's the prophecy about Cyrus. This was many, many, many years before Cyrus was even born, let alone raised up as king. God says, who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd? God says that Cyrus, a pagan king, is his shepherd. And he shall perform all my pleasure, even saying to Jerusalem, You shall be built, and to the temple your foundation can be laid. Then look at this first verse, uh, the next chapter, verse 45. Chapter 45, verse 1. Not only does he call him a shepherd, he says, Thus saith the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus. Cyrus was a pagan king going back to the days of Habakkuk. Cyrus was a pagan king, yet God said, I'm going to use Cyrus to free Israel from bondage. 
And he carried it even further by saying, Cyrus is my shepherd. He's my anointed one. I'll tell you what, God uses some strange instruments to carry out his judgment, doesn't he? You have just heard a message of encouragement from anointed pastor and teacher Robert Thibodeau with Freedom Through Faith Ministries in Baltimore, Maryland. For more information on the Freedom Through Faith Ministries or to invite Pastor Thibodeau to your church, please visit our website, www.ftfm.org. That's FTFM for Freedom Through Faith Ministries. Again, that's ftfm.org. Until next time, when we gather together around the Word of God, be blessed. And remember, we serve an awesome God. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC.